let Jesus into your boat. And in looking at John's account of uh, Jesus walking on the water, I want to get to something this morning that I hope, and, and I, I will probably be talking about fear in several different contexts over the next several weeks because for me the biggest takeaway from this whole season is that I found myself faced with fears. I did. For instance, the fact, some of you know, I had bronchitis for several weeks, and it was very, I was very, it was very slow to get over it, and I still have some remnants of it. My lungs, I'm fine now. I mean, you know, uh, the cough is gone, uh, and I always have post-nasal drip. My dad had it, my, I have it, my son has it, so we always do this a lot. But especially in its allergy season, so I've had to, I had to you know, deal with the Claritin. But um, I found myself thinking about these things. I said, wow, what if I have that bronchitis still? And, and I get this virus, and I get sick, and I have to go to the hospital. And what if I, I was thinking, I told my wife I could, I could Skype my sermons in, you know. So you guys, <laughs> I tell the worship team, just go for it. You guys just figure it out. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, but I, I really, uh, I, I thought about financial implications and ministry implications. I thought about what if our congregation, what if we, you know, no one showed up because you're all scared to be here. Look at you today. Why don't you give yourselves a hand for, for coming to church? I'm, I'm so grateful for, the, for the, the movement of God in our midst and for our, our, our momentum and the, the spirit of our services and the spirit of our community. And, uh, and, uh, but I, 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 as a human being, as a man, I dealt with this week. I thought about it. I thought about my own mortality. I thought about the fact I, I, thought about the fact I have these two beautiful grandsons. I want to be here for them. And that's, that's, I know that you say, well, that's really distant. But, but I, I'm a thinker, and I, and I thought about the fact there's this disease that's passing around. Uh, People are getting it out of nowhere, and I said, "Wow, you know, what if you know?" And they're saying, "If you're, you know, if you're over 60, well, I, you know, I am, and uh, I've, I'm in generally good health, and I feel great." Uh, but it's like, you know, you know what I'm saying? And and we're hearing so much, and then it's complicated by the fact that our administration is, has been lying to us, and so then that stokes the fears in another way. But they say, "Where is the truth? What is the truth?" You know. Where is this? Because one people was saying, you know, because they didn't want to let 20 people off the ships to keep the number down. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm just going to be real this morning. So that just shows you our, that our president is corrupt, the administration is inept, and so our nation is adrift right now as far as leadership and as far as resources and as far as dealing with stuff. So that makes, that makes me, in my flesh, makes me afraid. But this morning, Jesus, there's, there's, there's a simple word in this that I hope will, will help to inform us as we move forward in this season. And the words of, Jesus, uh, of John in John 6 through, uh, 16 through 21, let's read this, these, these texts together. Uh, let's go. When evening came, his disciples went out to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. So in, in this text, we find ourselves here in the narrative in John's gospel on the heels of Jesus having just fed the 5,000 with the loaves and fishes. Remember that miracle? And at the end of that miracle, the crowd is very impressed by the fact that they've been fed, and they're impressed by the way that the bread and the fish just kept coming and 
coming and coming, and they were amazed at the fact that Jesus proved the old adage wrong that there's no such thing as a free lunch. They had one, and in the words of the old McDonald's signs, thousands and thousands served, right? And the fact says in verse 6 that they ate each one as much as they wanted, breaking it, and Jesus was breaking it off. And, and it just shows us, and it showed us in that previous miracle, how Jesus loves and how Jesus gives. Jesus loves us lavishly. He gives us freely and abundantly. Aren't you glad about that? He's not parsimonious or stingy or tight, but he, he, he freely lavishes his love and his grace and his resources on us. There's an old hymn I used to love. It said this, his love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power has no boundary known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Aren't you glad about that? That he gives and gives and gives again. You know why? Because I need and I need and I need and God knows my need. He knows your need. You know, we have to eat every day. It doesn't work to eat once a week or once a month. It really doesn't. And that's why we pray, give us today our daily bread. And he does that. He gives us grace in the midst of our trials. He gives us peace in the midst of our, of our, of our, of our struggles. He's that kind of God. He gives us as much as we need. And so the crowd loved that miracle. Uh, he, he fed their hungry mouths, but what he's really seeking to do is, is address their hungry souls. And, and, and he'll come back a little later between the earlier part of the chapter what, and then what we just read. And then after that, he's going to come back and explain that. But this is, in, in John's gospel consists of seven signs. There are seven major miracles that are, are these signs that, that, uh, that, get, that point to who Jesus is. And that's how his gospel is constructed. And you know, a sign is designed to point to something, right? A sign signifies something. And so each of these signs signified something about Jesus and something about who he was and something about his power and something about, uh, about what he came to do. And so uh, here on in the middle of chapter 6, this further sign, the other one was the, the previous sign, was the fifth one was, was the feeding of the loaves of fish. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean the, the, this fifth sign is, come, is, is he, the... Uh, uh, the walking on the water, and one of the, and this is one of the miracles for which Jesus is most famous. You know, even regular folks, all kinds of folks have heard the story about Jesus walking on water. It almost becomes a cultural cliche, doesn't it? Uh, re, re, kind of alluding to supernatural ability. We say it sometimes tongue-in-cheek. I guess you can walk on water, huh? Or, you know, you would expect me to do, walk on water. Now, John and Matthew uh, and Mark relate this story and not Luke. And John writes 30 or 40 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we call the synoptic gospels. And so John feels no need to give his readers all of the details. And so the account we read this morning is a bit of a, is a, is a, is a, a redacted or, a sh well, more, a truncated, a shorter account uh, because his readers will have already read the larger story about Peter trying to walk and sinking and all that stuff. And so he gives us this concise and focused treatment without the Peter part and without all the excess stuff. Uh, and Jesus in this, John is in this account giving us something very important that we need. And so it's nighttime, and, and, and after the feeding of the 5,000, the crowd has tried to bum-rush Jesus, uh, to take him by force and make him king, literally to kidnap him because of the messianic expectation. And we've talked about this in, in detail in Bible study and uh, the fact that that there was a certain understanding of what they expected him to be and what they expected Messiah to be. And so in, in, after seeing these miracles, they began to try to 
by force make him king because he appears to be the kind of leader that they're looking for, though he has proclaimed at various points the fact that he must suffer and die for their sins, yet uh, they, they still want him to be who they think he is. Now, the thing you have to know about Jesus is that you don't define Jesus. Jesus defines himself. You don't define Jesus, but Jesus defines you. But they thought they knew who he was, and they thought they knew what they needed, but he knew what they needed, and what they needed was not political power. What they needed was not a human liberator. What they needed was a soul liberator. What they needed was a spiritual leader. What they needed was a savior. What they needed was someone who would lay down his life for their sins and for their eternal future. A lot of people think in various contexts that they need a certain thing, and a lot of people turn to Turn to find out that what I thought I needed, that ain't it, right? Uh, so, they, they, so the disciples expected to meet Jesus on the other side and that he would either get another boat or come around some kind of way, and, and he has not yet come, and so it's dark, and they're in the boat, right, and they, and they can no longer see the shore. And, and, uh, and one, one commentator suggests that the, uh, the observation of darkness expresses this underlying mood of discouragement that they're, they're kind of frustrated and they get out into the lake and there's a strong storm brewing and, and it's common on the Sea of Galilee. It's not an unusual thing, but they're nevertheless frightening. Can you say frightening? frightening? Okay. Certain things are frightening even though they're common, even though we're used to them, they still make us scared. And storms like this were common on this large salt, freshwater lake called the Sea of Galilee. And so they had lost sight of the shore and the wind was usually on the lake was usually from the north that came down through the valley, it channeled across the lake towards the south, and Matthew confirms in, in, in his uh, account that at 3 a.m. they're in the middle of the lake, very, very much south of their intended course. So they're toiling and they're rowing and they're struggling and trying to get across the lake. Back verse 8 says, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, that's R-O-W-E-D, they saw Jesus approaching the boat walking on the water, and they were frightened. Now, I will resist the temptation, which I have, I have succumbed to probably 10 times over the last 28 years, to, to, to invoke the theme from Gilligan's Island. In there. I am not going to do that on this morning. I, I'm, 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 I'm older now. I'm, I'm, I'm more seasoned and more mature. <laughs> but, I, but I heard somebody say, the weather started getting rough. <laughs> The tiny ship was sauced. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the boat would have been lost. Come on, somebody. I'm sorry. I said I wasn't going to do that no more, Chrissy. <laughs> oh, man. Some things you just can't help. So they saw Jesus walking on the water, and it says they were frightened. But then they were glad to take him into their boat. Now, some modern thinkers, some skeptics say, well, he was really on the shore all along, and they could see him, and they thought he was, he was walking on the shore beside them. And, uh, you know, take the scripture at its word. Take it at face value. Why were they afraid then if he was on the shore? Wow, who's that over there? You know, they're afraid because he's doing something they've never seen anybody do before. And so how would they not have recognized him if he was on the shore, but he comes to them on the water? They're terrified because, as Mark said, they thought they were seeing a ghost. And knowing Jesus, surely they could have expected a miracle, but in this moment, they didn't know who he was. Everything about this fact confirms, about this account confirms that it's a miracle. But once again, the faith of the disciples is challenged. Now, faith is a mindset. 
It's a mindset that always expects God to appear and to act. And when we act on that expectation, then we too can overcome our fears. But we ask, why are they afraid? Well, you'd be afraid too. You're in the middle of the lake, far from shore, darkness has fallen, the storm is blowing, and yet to their amazement, they see a figure not far from the boat walking in the water. You'd be afraid too. Turn to your neighbor and say, you'd be scared too. They were frightened. Matthew's gospel account reads literally that fear clutched at their hearts. But Jesus says this. Jesus says this. He says, it is I. Do not be afraid. I want you to savor those words for a moment. It is I. Do not be afraid. The assurance that we have this morning is that with regard to that which may scare you, when you're called upon to do the impossible in life, realize this, that Jesus says to us, it is I who stand before you. The things that oppose you, I've, I've, Jesus says, I've already placed those things under my feet. I am in control of events. There is therefore no need to fear. In Matthew's account, Peter starts out boldly and confidently to, to, to follow Jesus, looked around, and his confidence fails. He sinks into the water. Jesus lets him go on until he prays the, the shortest prayer in the Bible. Help! And Jesus takes his hand and says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? But all of this is designed to teach his disciples and us the resources that are available to us if we would turn to Jesus. So finally, they were glad to take him into the boat, and their, their fears were relieved when they realized that it was him. And then instantaneously, notice in the text, instantaneously, they were where they were headed. A further demonstration of Jesus' power, they're suddenly sitting on the dock of the bay. And this reminds us of another important truth contained within what we read this morning that Jesus will get you to where he wants you to be. Jesus told them to get into the boat, to, to go across the lake. To, he sent them through the storm or whatever. But he will get us to where he wants us to be. If he wants you to get to the shore, he will get you there. And here's the takeaway for us today. In spite of terrifying circumstances in our lives, Christ can give us peace in any storm. Christ can bring us safely to our destination if we allow him into the boat, if you allow him into your life, if you will allow him into your circumstance, if you allow him into your situation. So what is the miracle of this strange and miraculous event? C.S. Lewis calls this miracle a miracle of the new creation. Uh, Lewis called the feeding of the 5,000 uh, with the bread and the fish is a miracle of the old creation because there Jesus used natural objects, bread and fish, to feed a mixed crowd of believers and unbelievers in a supernatural use of things of the natural world. You, get, you understand what I'm saying? But C.S. Lewis calls this miracle of Jesus walking on water a miracle of the new creation by which he means the invisible realm of life, the invisible realities which are present in every believer. So this, therefore, is a miracle intended only for those who believe unlike the feeding of the 5,000, which was intended for anybody who happened to be there. This miracle is to teach believers the resources that are available to them 
to quiet the agony of uncertainty and anxiety that often grips our hearts in times of trouble. What's today's date? March the 8th, right? Can you believe that we're already almost a quarter through 2020? Seems like only yesterday I was standing here preaching a New Year's message and, a, and an old year's message and Christmas has just passed. And if this year is like, is anything at all like the years of the past, and I suspect that it will be, we will all encounter our share of tremendous challenges, both individually and collectively. Look at what the world is going through right now as we face the threat of a possible pandemic. Look at the economic challenges that that this, this illness is, is, is poised to, 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 to foist upon our nation and our world. Objectively speaking, as Greg pointed out as he was taking the offering this morning, the ripple effect of this could be catastrophic for a lot of people. And some of you, some of us, will undoubtedly face this year frightening circumstances in our lives because that's the way life works. There is disease, there is death around us, there are accidents, there are wars in the world, there is moral decay that, 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 that affects us, there is corruption, there is foulness, there is desertion, divorce, all around us, all kinds of negative things. We find ourselves in a sea of trouble like these disciples pretty much all of the time. But what Jesus is saying to the disciples, as he's saying to us as well, is that which frightens you, that very thing which scares you is me in the sense that I am coming to you in and through that circumstance so you do not need to be afraid. I am in charge of it. I may have, any, I may have even chosen it for you. Therefore, you do not need to be afraid. Hear me now. They were afraid of the storm, but it seems that they were initially more afraid of Jesus because they didn't recognize. But as he comes to them on the waves, he has the very thing that would threaten them most in the moment under his feet. That is the sea. That is the winds and the waves and the storm. And as John reflected on this event, he realized that Jesus had deliberately set this up for his disciples. He'd chosen it for them. He had sent them off against their will into this dark night and deliberately delayed his coming to them so that they might learn what he can do in times of trouble. Maybe in your life sometimes God has not responded as quickly as you had wanted in that moment, but he may have allowed a bit of delay so that you may learn to trust him and you may see his power and know that when he did come through for you, that it was he who came through for you and you didn't come through for yourself. It was his work in your life. But if our faith responds as these disciples' faith responded and we take him into our boat, so to speak, if we welcome him into our circumstance, we suddenly find ourselves, we will suddenly find ourselves on the other side of the waters of difficulty. We'll find ourselves steadied and stabilized and strengthened and at peace. We find that we've arrived at the goal, but not by our toiling and rowing and, rowing and struggling, but by simply taking Jesus in to our boat, taking Jesus in to our situation. So G John reduces his stories to its essentials contrast to the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in order that we can see how it ties in with the miracle of the loaves of fishes. And Jesus teaches us by means of the Lord's Supper to look back at his death and resurrection, but it's clear in this account he's teaching the disciples before these events to understand what the, what the meaning of those events would be in the future looking forward 
to the terrible, terrible time of separation that would accompany his crucifixion, but followed by the glorious triumph of his resurrection and his presence with them forever. And we're living on the other side of that now, and we have his presence with us forever. And you know what? Did you get this? Notice what he says. He said, it is I. Don't be afraid. Yeah. It is his presence that delivers us from fear. It is his presence that delivers us from fear. And I often use this illustration because it's very real and very vivid in my memory, in my life, in my mind. When I was a kid, uh, as, a, as a child, my dad worked nights a bit, quite a bit, because of the nature of his business. And we moved into a new house at a certain point, brand new house, and it was being freshly built. Uh, there were creaks and noises and pops because it was still settling. Uh, I don't know how they build houses like that back then because my house was new when I bought it and it didn't do that. But I, re I remember laying in bed hearing these little noises. And it was kind of out at the end of the, it was in a part of LA County that was un un really, there was like a big field across the street with oil wells. It was like at the edge of town. And it was dark. And I was a kid and I was scared a lot. Uh, I was scared of the noises. Then one time, the transformer on the pole behind the house caught on fire in the middle of the night, and I, I was terrified. But you know what? There's something about it. I was never afraid when Dad was home. I, I, I remember laying in bed and agonizing over stuff and tripping over stuff. But when Dad was home, the, the, when Dad was in the house, when Dad was in there, and my dad used to snore like crazy. But that, the sound of that snoring coming through that door was a sense of reassurance to the kid that everything was all right because dad was going to take care of Charles and make sure that, that and, and mom and make sure that everything was all right. Nobody was going to get hurt because dad was in the house. Dad was home. His presence delivered me from fear because I knew that he was greater than I was. I knew that he was greater. I felt that he was greater than any circumstance. I felt that he could handle anything, and I knew he would lay down his life to protect our family. I was never at, afraid when dad was at home. And we get that same, that same sense from Psalm 23. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and that's what we're walking through right now, but the psalmist says this, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Because you are here with me. I have God walking alongside me. I have Jesus walking alongside me. I have Jesus. I took him into my boat. The boat's not going to sink with the king of glory in the boat. And so we can live above fear. And I know we will, listen, don't get hyper-religious and super judgmental on yourself, you know, because I know sometimes you get with the real word, folks. It's like, you know, well, you know, I was really there this week. I, if, there, are, there are people that would criticize what I said today. If I tell you that, that I, I, this moment, this week, I had times when when I was beset by fear, and I had to, like, work through some stuff and pray through some stuff and think through. And I'm still, uh, I still have deep concerns. And then people say, well, you know, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. But, if, you know, you can quote scripture over people all day long, but the reality is that every single, because fear on one hand is a natural response to keep you from doing stupid stuff that will kill you. Right. <laughs> Should I, if my car has just stopped, should I run across the freeway that way and jump over the median and go to, to get over there? Uh, I, well, just be, don't have fear, brother. <laughs> you better be scared. But we can live above fear. We can conquer fear. We can manage fear. We can put fear in its place, not because we're so smart, right? Not because we're so resourceful. Not because we might have a rich uncle somewhere. Any of y'all got a rich uncle? I like to know him. Uh, but because, but we can live above fear because Jesus is with us. 
because he is in charge, because Jesus is Lord, because he's the Lord of the storm, he's the Lord of the sea, he's the Lord of the environment, he's the Lord of the economy, he's the Lord of uh, uh, over sickness and over death. We need to let Jesus into our boat. We need to allow him into our lives, fully allow him into our situation. Somebody needs to recognize this morning that Jesus is with you in the midst of your storm. Somebody this morning needs to let him into your boat. And we look at the church around the world, but particularly in the United States, we're rowing and struggling against the winds of change and whatever, and sometimes when Jesus shows up, we don't even recognize him. But I'm saying this morning, let him into the boat. We as individuals, we're rowing and struggling and toiling and trying to make it, and Jesus comes to us on the water, and he comes speaking words of comfort. He says this, do not be afraid. Fear not. It's me. Let him in the boat. Because for all that rowing and struggling and tussling and tasseling and hustle, once Jesus got to the boat, they instantaneously got to the other side. Isn't that something? Can you relate to that? You struggling and striving and tripping and working and grunting and stressing, making everybody around you stress. Once you let Jesus into your situation, all of a sudden, all that you've been struggling and struggling, stressing and striving over and all of a sudden you get you, you get to where you need to be and you get what you really need. We labor so hard in our own strength, don't we? You might be surprised how quickly the answer will come when you allow Jesus to take control of the situation and quit trying to wrestle the circumstance in your own strength. I wonder why we don't believe him. Why we don't reach out by faith and receive his help. Why are we so much like Peter? Because those who have discovered the secret of trust have already made it to the shore of joy and, arresting it, and the shore of peace and arresting in his promises. And when we embrace this truth, we discover the realities of a new creation, as C.S. Lewis said, new resources, the supernatural power of God working on our behalf in all things for our good as those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And in spite of terrifying situations in our lives, Jesus can give us peace in the midst of everything so, my friends, there is a storm brewing all around us right now. But if we let Jesus into our boat, if we'll recognize him, he will not only give us peace, but he'll get us safely to the other side. So this fifth sign of John points to the fact that he's Lord over nature, Lord over creation. He's Lord over storms, the storms in our lives. Amen? As the Lord of the new creation, he's able to subdue by his supernatural power all things working outside of the natural order to achieve his purposes on behalf of those who would place their faith in his hands. And so, man, today I'm just really grateful that he stands, I know that he stands in authority over the chaos all around us. He's the Lord over the storm. He's the Lord, he's even Lord over the coronavirus. Amen. I don't care what situation looks like. I don't care how dark it seems. Jesus is in control. Put your trust in him in turbulence. I'm almost done, but I was thinking about Psalm 107, particularly from the New Living Translation. And Psalm 107 gives these, these, these several accounts of different, how different people kind of encountered God in the midst of their struggle and how God dealt with them and how they dealt with God. And, and this, it reads like this beginning at verse 23. Some went off to the sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. They too observed the Lord's power in action, his impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens. I'm not going to do it again. 
and plunged back again to the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and staggered like, drunken, like drunkards, and they were at their wits' end. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. The psalmist gives a picture of, of mariners who, who basically have gone out into the world to, to, to ply their trade by, by, by sailing the seven seas, and they find themselves encountering the, the inevitable storms that you encounter on the seas, and, and they are in dire straits and difficult circumstances. And all they do at some point is, is, is call out to God, and God is able to calm the storms and to still the waves. And it says in verse 30 again, what a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. I don't doubt that some of you know the blessing of the stillness when God brings you through a difficult time in your life, through the storm, into the, uh, the safety of, of the harbor of his love and his rest. And you may feel adrift this morning on the sea of life. You may feel besieged by all of the tumultuous waves of the storms that rage all about you, but all you've got to do is cry out like these guys did in the Old Testament, or you can cry out like Peter did. And you, don't, you know what? Again, you don't have to learn how to pray this. You don't have to memorize nothing. You don't have to need a prayer book or, or uh, a rosary or, uh, or, or anything, you know, a book of common prayer. Uh, all you have to do is say this is one word. What's that word? The Beatles even knew that. Help. And he can save you from your distress. He can calm the storm to a whisper. He can still the waves. He can bring you safely into harbor. But, but the word of the Lord this morning is this. It is I. Do not be afraid. I'm here with you in this storm. I'm here with you in the trial. You may not recognize me, but I'm here right now. And God said to his people, and I close with this, through Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament. He says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And this morning, if you believe that promise, why don't you give a shout of praise to the Lord? Amen. Amen. Let's take a moment and pray. How many of you would join me in saying, you know, saying to the Lord, Lord, I need your help in this season. I need you to I need your presence to, to, to inoculate my heart against fear. Just as at some point there will be a vaccine that will hopefully inoculate uh, people against this current virus, the, the, we need the peace of God to inoculate our hearts. We need God's presence to, 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 to provide that, that, that immunity from fear and from stress and from, and from, and from discouragement. Amen? Amen? Lord Jesus, this morning we take you into our boat. We welcome you into our lives. We invite you into our circumstances. And we even realize that in the midst of what we're going through right now in our lives, that you are, you are already there. And you come to us in the midst of the storm, walking on the waters, as it were. So, Lord, we allow, we let you into our boat today. And we heed, we heed the words that you speak to us when you say, it is I, do not be afraid. Thank you for your presence, Lord, that, is, that, that, that surrounds each one of us and indwells us. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your love that enfolds us this morning. Lord, in this difficult time, we ask that you would take every one of us safely through this storm to the harbor, to the place of peace and rest and blessing that you have for us. We pray this morning for health and strength, and we pray that you would strengthen our immune systems and that you would, uh, that you would strengthen our hearts, that you would encourage us emotionally and spiritually so that we may stand. Father, we pray against fear. We pray against 
against anxiety in this time. We recall the words of, of the Lord in, in, in Peter's epistle. We said, we are to cast all of our anxiety on you or all of our cares on you because you care for us. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to be anxious about everything, but in everything through prayer and supplication, we can make our requests known to you. So, Lord, I pray your blessing upon each one of us today in the name of Jesus. We thank you for everything that you've done in this place today and everything that you're doing as we leave here in a few moments to go out into the world. And Father, we just pray your blessing over each and every one of us in Jesus' name.